0: with me i'm bill arnold thank you for joining me today i'm looking forward to spending a couple hours with you or as much time as you can make available and if you miss any of the show i always am uh, appreciative if you go to our website and check out the podcast sometimes you can't listen to it in this particular time but you do in the evening and i appreciate that some of you use me as a natural sleep aid and i appreciate that as well so we're so glad that uh, today I'm going to start with Rob Bluey, as usual, as my Tuesday guest. He's my Washington, D.C. correspondent, and he comes to us as editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal.
1: Rob, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be back with you. Thank you.
0: Th- thank you. Of course, there's so much buzz in the news right now about COVID. I think that's probably a good place to start and as uh, also talk about the reopening of schools
1: well yes, uh, you know it 's interesting my 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 kids own school today well my my middle child was in the, was in the news a part of a Twitter buzz because apparently bill the uh, one of the teachers decided to take the kids outside in the twenty degree weather and have snack time and a book story hour uh, outdoors so uh, you know it 's one of those like strange situations where I know the teachers are doing their best to try to keep the kids in school. We're we'll also trying to adhere to all of the safety guidelines. But, I mean, boy, what bizarre times uh, we live in. My mom, being a public school librarian for her entire career, says she never did that in the upstate New York winters. So uh, I, I really admire the teachers who are trying to make it work. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I sometimes think, Bill, that uh, we're taking it to a little bit of extreme. And uh, we find ourselves in a situation where people are struggling to find tests. Uh, the rapid tests are in short supply. Uh, the cases are skyrocketing, obviously. They're probably being undercounted significantly because not everybody's reporting their results. And uh, fortunately, if there's any good news in all of this, it's that the hospitalizations and the deaths have not increased as they have with past variants. Uh, this latest Omicron variant, as was my personal situation when I, uh, when I had it there before Christmas, um, was, was really uh, – relatively inconvenient uh, sore throat, uh, but, uh, but nothing, uh, nothing more than that. So I hope a lot of people who are suffering with COVID um, do have those mild symptoms or are, are completely asymptomatic and are able to get over it very quickly.
0: Rob, what is the school telling you as a parent as to what they're doing? Are they trying to give the kids an opportunity to take their masks off outside or what are they? How do they explain that to you?
1: Well, uh, as I've recommended to your listeners in the past, I I took my own advice and I reached out to the principal and I said, I saw this on Twitter today. It's getting a lot of buzz. I think it had 50,000 views, which is a lot for some, you know, somebody's uh, local community. And I said, "Uh, can you just tell me what's going on? And she said, yes. Uh, They decided to take the kids out for about seven minutes to give them a snack, snack break and, uh, and allow them to take their masks off. Now, Bill, I remember going outside a lot during recess and in cold weather in upstate New York, uh, as I'm sure you know many of your listeners did when they were uh, in in school as well. And uh, that was usually during recess. I mean, these kids were sitting on the sidewalk though, listening to a story. It's one thing to be running around and, and quite active. It's another thing to be stationary. So uh, she's going to address it at the PTA meeting tonight. Uh, I do appreciate her quick uh, responsiveness, and I also appreciate the fact that. Uh, I've also been in the situation where, when my kids used to go to a private school, they uh, they refused to take the kids out when the temperature dropped below uh, freezing, and mm-hmm. I also didn't think that was good either because I think the kids really do need to have that activity. Um, I just think that you know sometimes uh, we we find ourselves in a situation where the transmission rate uh, seems. To be less among young kids, elementary school students, uh, certainly the the cases are lower among those kids. Uh, many of them are are obviously in that five to twelve year old group that is is eligible for a vaccine, and a lot of the parents have, at least in my county, uh, taken the kids to be vaccinated. So, you know, I uh, I think the frustrating part is is we're all trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. Uh, Covid keeps keeps coming back, and and Bill, one of the biggest issues that that we're now facing, uh, the, the Heritage Foundation and the Daily Signal are located in Washington D.C. Starting on Saturday, just six days before the March for Life comes to town, the D.C. mayor is imposing a requirement that all restaurants and and other businesses like that uh, request uh, need to see your vaccine card mm. in order to allow you to um, uh, to come in. That is going to, I think, discourage a lot of people because they don't feel like it's the restaurant owner's business about their personal medical information. And on top of that, you have the federal vaccine mandate, which did go into effect yesterday, which we uh, as an organization are are suing um, at the Supreme Court. We don't have a decision on that yet. We hope to get a decision any day now. But in the meantime, it's created a lot of uncertainty for for businesses that are trying to figure out whether the court's going to keep this in place and have employers really break that 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 sacred line that um, that you don't uh, want to cross, uh, and, and ask your employees about their personal medical information. So, uh, I think that uh, rightfully so, uh, the the health public health officials took a beating on Capitol Hill today because there's a lot of frustration out there right now with both the policies, uh, their failure to uh, to have the tests available and and also uh, just the fact that the guidance uh, is changing constantly and people can't keep up.
0: Rob, it seems like uh, one of the better ways to catch COVID these days is waiting in a long line full of sick people waiting to be tested for COVID.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, particularly if it's uh, like the COVID testing stations near uh, near us. Um, I know some are, are done from, from a car, and obviously okay. you, you can... But, I mean, where here bill usually what it what it is and there 's one just a few blocks from from where i i 'm talking to you today, uh, right on Capitol Hill. And it's an outdoor testing station. You're absolutely correct. There is a long line of people. They are outdoors, uh, which I think probably helps a little bit. But you're absolutely right. I mean, people are, are catching it now. In my case, I have to say, and and uh, I, you know, in in some cases, uh, you know, I don't even know how this is possible. But despite the fact that I had COVID and I was obviously interacting with my wife and kids, uh, we tested them. For Throughout the period that I I was in isolation and they um, and they were fine they they never got it so I, it's it's a strange uh, strange virus it certainly is um, why why it affects some people and and not others um, but I mean I think that hopefully uh, we're moving to the point where it becomes less of a pandemic and more of an endemic it's probably going to be with us for a while and we're going to have to treat it like the flu and uh, and we're we're not closing down everything we're not imposing. Uh, severe restrictions. We're not asking people to take medical or religious exemptions just to get into uh, to, to facilities. And the March for Life is having to do that. I mean, many of the mm-hmm. events associated with that will now require uh, for the hotels, uh, like the restaurants, you to show a vaccine card. And I think people will probably decide either they're going to protest through civil disobedience or just not make the trip to Washington, D.C. next week.
0: Well, it seems we're getting more and more information. Dr. Rochelle Walensky from the CDC said that of people who have died from COVID had four or more comorbidities.
1: That's right. Well, and and as you know, Bill, from the very beginning, people who had some sort of pre-existing conditions that made them more vulnerable to COVID uh, were more likely to end up in the hospital or unfortunately uh, find themselves in a a position where they're they're sick or they they Mm -hmm. face the chance of death. And so uh, as the, the data comes out and she confirmed today, uh, it was a small sample size she was talking about. But still, you know, it was uh, it was quite revealing mm-hmm. that the CDC director is talking about this. And by the way, um, we should also note, and I think you have in the past, that relatively speaking, the people who the, the percentage of people who end up dying from COVID is small to begin with. And then when you look at those people who did have a situation, maybe they were ailing from cancer or they had a heart condition or whatever the the situation may be. They may have been obese. Yes, they are more susceptible and vulnerable. But also, Bill, those, that's the population that has uh, tended to become, uh, to, to become more vaccinated. I mean, they've decided on their own mm-hmm. that they would get the vaccine, uh, particularly the older population I'm talking about now. Uh, that uh, has decided on their own, without being coerced by the government, that it's in their best interest because they want to stay safe and healthy. That's so
0: true. All right, Rob, I know you love New York because you're from New York, upstate New York, but talk about what's going on in New York City uh, where they want to allow non-citizens to vote.
1: Yeah, it's really, really uh, remarkable, particularly at a time when we have so many Americans who have already lost confidence in the electoral process. And we're doing our part uh, to try to restore that confidence ahead of the midterm elections this year uh, to have a a, a jurisdiction like New York City come in and say it's okay for non-citizens to cast a ballot. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing that would seem uh, to be... Uh, a, a beyond reproach and something that you wouldn't, a barrier you wouldn't want to cross. It's that particular thing, because there are steps that uh, that immigrants can take to become U.S. citizens. And I, I think we've demonstrated throughout the United States' history that we are a welcoming nation and people can earn that right to vote. But to just disregard that and uh, and, and make this decision is a head-scratcher. And uh, And I think even in a city like New York, it's probably – uh, a step too far for, for many of those constituents.
0: One of the reasons I heard is that they came to New York, however illegal, and they suffered and endured COVID. Therefore, they then are in a right place to be able to make a decision who gets into public office.
1: Yeah, it, well, <laughs> I mean, I've heard all sorts of arguments uh, trying to justify this bill, including that, um, you know, it, They've been here for X number of years, and, and therefore, you know, they've become part of the community, and therefore, we should just accept them and let them vote. Again, I still think that there are when you when you go through that naturalization process, one of the things that you do is you have to take that. I just call it a civics test. Um, it's actually available if you search for it on the internet. You, your listeners can see some of the questions. I mean, it's fairly standard stuff. I mean, if you're not scoring a hundred percent on that. Uh, then, you know, it's probably time to brush up on some of your civics. So, But I, I think that there are, those are the types of steps that we need to be able to take and ask the immigrants and the non-citizens to do before we reward them with that right to vote.
0: I agree, Rob. Rob Bluey is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. We're going to continue our discussion uh, about—we've got still a number of news items I want to cover uh, with Rob— including uh, some of the vaccine cases that are right now in front of the Supreme Court. So we'll discuss that in just a minute. is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal, dailysignal.com. Rob, let's chat a little bit about some of the cases that are right now, um, the vaccine mandate cases being presented in front of the Supreme Court.
1: Sure. Well, on Friday, the, the justices heard two cases, one involving the Occupational Safety and Health Administration rule, which requires that employers who have over 100 workers Uh, submit to a couple of uh, requirements. Number one, that employees have to show their vaccine card and the employers have to keep a record of that in case OSHA asks, or for those who are unvaccinated, they have to wear a mask and be tested on a weekly basis. The second case that the justice has heard involved uh, the requirement that hospitals and other medical facilities that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding uh, submit to the similar vaccine type of requirements. Uh, those cases both present significant constitutional issues, also some statutory issues. Does the federal government have the authority to impose such a mandate? Uh, we believe, and we've argued in our in our brief to the Supreme Court, that Congress did not give uh, the federal government uh, this this authority, particularly as it pertains to OSHA. And uh, the justices, we thought, might make a decision by issuing a stay and just putting a temporary hold. On OSHA's ruling. They have not done so yet. Uh, They have announced that on Thursday they'll be issuing some rulings and cases. We don't know if if these cases will be among them. But in the meantime, as I mentioned earlier, Bill, I think that it leaves a lot of uncertainty in the minds of business owners. Now, these are businesses with over 100 workers. Uh, So a lot of small businesses are are exempt and don't have to worry about it. But uh, for employers like the Heritage Foundation, we're in a situation where we are doing our best Um, to provide guidance to our staff uh, while at the same time trying to stand firm on principle. And uh, that's why we brought the lawsuit. And I think that very many people don't think that an employer should be in the business of collecting this personal medical information uh, from its employees.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, Rob. And speaking of the Heritage Foundation, your former president, K.C. James, is going to be the next secretary of the Commonwealth. That's kind of exciting news.
1: That's right. Uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who takes office on Saturday, uh, has announced that uh, she's going to be uh, joining his his cabinet. The Secretary of the Commonwealth is an important role, similar to the role that. Uh, that Kay had in uh, in the Bush administration when she was director of the Office of Personnel management uh she's somebody who strongly believes that personnel is policy, and so it's it's a very important to get the right people in the right jobs in order to uh to see that the governor's agenda is implemented and He has a lot on his plate uh, as uh you know from watching that race closely. Mm-hmm. education was a big issue that dominated a lot of the headlines um so so making sure that we continue to push forward and make those reforms, give parents more control over their kids' education. Hopefully, uh, create more opportunities for educational choice. Um, maybe bringing educational savings accounts uh, to 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 the state. Um, you know, those are all all big issues on on the agenda. Uh, but also, you know, it's the it, most interesting thing is, and Kay's got a she's a lifelong Virginia native. He has really tried to fill his cabinet with people who come from. A business perspective or an outsider's perspective. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch how he approaches his role as governor and how it might uh, contrast with uh, with the current incumbent uh, and, and the other Democrats who have preceded him. Going all the way back, the last uh, last Republican to be elected governor in Virginia was in 2010. Uh, so it's been quite some time uh, since uh, since Virginia's had a Republican leader.
0: Rob, would you like to talk a little bit about big tech censorship?
1: Yes, well, I mean, this is an issue that has uh, has continued to be, be a problem. Um, I will uh, tell your listeners about a new Daily Signal uh, story that we just published yesterday, and that's a documentary featuring my former colleague Ryan Anderson, who's now the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Ryan wrote a book called When Harry Became Sally about the gender identity movement and transgenderism in America it was a book that really was intended to help people who were struggling with some of these big questions. And Ryan's book was strongly received among people in that community who had made the transition to a different, uh, to a different sex and then, also, and then decided maybe to detransition and come back. Well, you know, shockingly, Amazon decided to remove the book from its platform. Now, Amazon – as anybody knows, is the dominant player in the online book sales market. I think over 70% of book sales come through Amazon. And so by doing so, they really restricted the reach of Ryan's book. Barnes & Noble and other booksellers still provide the book and make it available. So we thought it was important to tell Ryan's story to make sure that people understood what was going on with these big tech platforms. Uh, It's not just censoring a tweet here and there. Sometimes it's doing severe damage, and in Ryan's case, um, you know, he said that what Amazon is really doing here is preventing those people who are looking for a different outcome um, and maybe struggling to find information online from getting a copy of his book. And so hopefully uh, they'll be able to find it from other sources, and hopefully our story will help uh, raise more awareness about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've had Ryan on the show once before. He's an interesting guy.
1: Oh yes, he he certainly is, and and you know Ryan is uh, is is one of many who have confronted this. Uh, as you know, the Daily Signal has had uh, a couple of videos from somebody who did uh, detransition and spoke in an event. Um, we had that video removed. We had another video from a pediatrician who was talking about the dangers of uh, giving puberty blockers to young children. Uh, we had YouTube remove that video. So this is an issue. This particular issue seems to really um, have uh, sparked the uh, you know notice in Silicon Valley, and they they take swift action in terms of trying to prevent information that they don't agree with from getting out. And I think it's really unfortunate. Um, and uh, and we feature another story. You know, Bill. Sometimes the stories are just mind-boggling. Uh, Bethany Mandel, another former colleague of mine, is writing children's books, biographies on American heroes, Uh, (laughs) people like Thomas Sowell and and Ronald Reagan and uh, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And Facebook decided shortly before Christmas to remove the ads that she had purchased uh, to sell these books. I mean, (laughs) you would think that, as she said, these are wholesome kids' books. They're not political in any sense of the imagination. They're merely trying to provide an alternative because there aren't books on these American heroes available from some of the major booksellers. So uh, you never know when you're going to in- encounter the big tech uh, overlords on uh, their censorship, but, uh, but it's happening to everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Rob, what do you think about the Olympics coming up in a couple of weeks?
1: Well, I think it's an opportunity for us to shine the spotlight on China's human rights abuses. And I, I really agree. hope that, yeah, I really hope that those in the Biden administration use the diplomatic boycott as an opportunity to do exactly that. And Bill, I have to tell you, I'm really encouraged to see some of the athletes themselves speaking out about what's happening uh, to particularly the, the the Uyghur Muslims and uh, the slave labor camps that the the Chinese are doing the restrict. I mean, we're just talking about censorship in America here in the big tech platforms. I mean, we have it bad, but I mean, it's, it's incredibly uh, terrible in, in China. Uh, Interestingly, I read today that they're going to allow the athletes to have a special SIM card in their smartphones to be able to use social media while they're there for the Olympics. Uh, But they're not going to extend that same freedom to the Chinese citizens. And so uh, it's just another example of how China really tries to control everything and why I think it's important for us to speak out.
0: Speaking of athletes, I don't know if you followed any of the Novak Djokovic uh, story in Australia where he was quarantined and tried to play the Australian Open uh, coming up and I find that I used to think Australia was that friendly place where you went and put a couple of shrimp on the barbie and had a good time.
1: Yeah, so so did I. I'm glad to see that the judge um, overruled uh, and allowed him to to compete. But uh, yeah, it was definitely concerning. I mean, Australia not too long ago was was known for its more conservative or even libertarian yeah. beliefs, but uh, but they have have enacted some of the most restrictive COVID measures. And I understand again the desire to rid themselves of COVID but i think we're beyond that point i think covid is going to be with us and unless you're going to completely shut down your borders and allow no air travel and and you know try to eradicate in some other way well then you're not going to be able to have tennis tournaments and, and right. you shouldn't ex- you shouldn't expect to block uh, uh superstars um uh from playing uh in your in your country so uh again it's it's something to watch i think there's going to be more and more cases like this i'm already hearing that if california imposes severe limitations during the Super Bowl that the NFL might decide to pull out and look for a new venue because they don't want to have it in Los Angeles in a place that is going to be uh, not only having restrictions on the fans, but maybe preventing some players from uh, participating in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. And thinking of the Olympics again, Rob, realizing that there's 20 million people in China now under lockdowns uh, ahead of the Olympics. That's unbelievable.
1: It it is unbelievable, and we still don't have the truth about COVID. I mean, here we are, uh, you know, two years later, and we're still trying to figure out what the Chinese did and how they started this.
0: Yeah. Rob, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time today, and blessings to you and your family.
1: Thanks, Bill. Have a great day.
0: You bet. Rob Bluey's been my guest. He is, of course, the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. All right. If you like uh, friendships, you're not going to want to miss what's coming up next. are pretty important. And if you have a great friend, you have a treasure. And there's a great friendship in the Bible we're going to talk about today with Dr. Greg Borgon. He is the founder and president of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And we're always delighted to learn from uh, Greg. Greg, welcome.
2: Oh, thank you. It's good to be here, Bill. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. We're going to talk about a pretty famous friendship today, aren't we?
2: Yeah, we certainly are. You know, what I've always felt all along, and you probably have felt this too, Bill, that in every man, there's a hero longing to emerge. Now, we know this from early childhood. The first time we put a cape on, <laughs> the first time we take a couple of spare pieces of wood around the yard and fashion a sword. It's something that's embedded into every boy's heart, and it doesn't leave him when he becomes a man. And so not only is he a hero or dying to get out, he's also a risk taker, much to the chagrin of their parents. So a hero is really someone who will save the day, who will rise above, you know, threatening circumstances, who will be victorious against impossible odds, who will spend his life for something that really matters, uh, who will be remembered, hopefully, for the good he's done when God calls him home. So every man wants to know, that there is purpose to his life, that he is productive in accordance with his potential, and that his life matters amen every leader in Christ wants to expand God's kingdom on earth to make a difference in the world and to further God's redemptive purposes. So yes, there is a hero deep inside each of you that's listening, dying to get out like the heroes mentioned in hebrews eleven thirty two through thirty four It says, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Now, if that doesn't stir your soul, I don't know what will, so... (laughs) Maybe the question then is, what really is a hero? Well, number one, I think Bill, a hero is a person distinguished by uh, exceptional courage and ability and strength. Uh, we don't have many models for that today. Uh, a hero is a champion, someone who fights for a cause. A hero is someone who moves beyond fear towards battle, um, and, and his heart has that his heart has to win. Who kind of who conquers not so much with forceful bravado, but with summoning strength from within A hero is someone whose sense of what's right propels him as nothing else could. And when he performs beyond all of his dreams, it's selflessly for others good. Now there's a poem, what is a hero that says, it's not within him to carry revenge, nor to boast of victories won, but to quietly face every new challenge, doing what needs to be done. And even if fate deals him less than fair hands, he plays them with fairness of heart, for it is an inherent goodness within that sets a hero apart. No, Pretty that powerful. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> So, how about God's unsung heroes, though? I mean, uh, we might be living lives of quiet desperation, thinking we'll never arise to that kind of level. But, how about God's unsung heroes, men and women who lay it all on the line every day without notoriety or claim? without applause or acknowledgement, without any ceremony or award. Such obscurity, however, is honored by God. We talked about that the last time I was on your show. Maybe God is calling you to obscurity, not drawing attention, unnoticed, unsung, inconspicuous. I call it the brotherhood of the unheralded, the company of the unappreciated. So maybe we're in that band. You know, Bill, in my devotions one day, I read the following. God will not take us down easy paths to conform us to Jesus. He does not lead us on a walk in the park, but toward a struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, where strong wills are subdued and the glory of God and the welfare of others compete with our own personal plans. And we know when we get there that he will lead us into death. It's the painful death, but a glorious one. The other side of it is resurrection, which God has planned all along. Our ultimate humble obedience will lead to high exaltation. Why? Because a lowly, then exalted Jesus has called us. That should encourage us, Bill. That does. So, what does what do heroes have in common? Well, they put all their self interests aside for the sake of others. Um, they lean into their fear and act on their values. Uh, Even when it's not comfortable to do so, they stepped aside of their comfort zone and took uncharacteristic risks. They shunned the mantle of hero and simply did what needed to be done. They acted on their beliefs and values because it was the right thing to do. So you may not feel like a hero, those of you who are listening, but there is a hero within you. So what does a hero after God's heart look like? So I'd like to take us a look in a little deeper in the life of Jonathan, the risk taker. Now, Jonathan in the Bible is the son of, of King Saul. Jonathan was a, noble, uh, was a noble man of true character, faith and integrity. Despite his father's hatred of David, Jonathan and David were very close friends. And Jonathan protected David and helped him escape Saul. Since uh, David was married to Jonathan's sister, Michael, Jonathan was also David's brother-in-law. I don't know if we knew that, but it, it's, that's the truth. Um, others have said this about Jonathan. He wasn't much like his father. He was known for his deep love, his loyal friendship, and faith in God, while Saul, his father, repeatedly showed fool, uh, foolishness, pride, and disobedience to God. God eventually rejected Saul's kingship and replaced him with David. Jonathan was faithful in the Lord and positioned himself against his father politically because he knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. Not many people today, Bill, will set aside or say, hey, I'm second, because we all seem to want to be first. But Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David and therefore recognized David's family rather than his own as the chosen line of kingship. So Jonathan and Saul were obviously not on good terms for Jonathan actually desired the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Saul, when he suspected Jonathan's betrayal in favor of David, threw a spear at his son an attempt to murder him. Hmm. So Saul also insulted both Jonathan and his mother. He called Jonathan a stupid son of a I won't repeat the word. Yeah. Um but that's found in 1 Samuel 20:30 if you want to turn to that. And later uh, in a later battle with the Philistines, Jonathan was killed alongside two of his brothers. Now Saul himself was also badly wounded and told his armor-bearer, if you remember, Bill, to slay him. When the armor-bearer was unwilling to take the king's life, Saul fell on his own sword, and his his grieved armor-bearer followed his example. But even in death, Jonathan's righteousness exceeded that of his father. And that way, the the line of Saul ended, and David's line continued as prophesied. So Jonathan's five-year-old son, Mephibosheth, was crippled on the day that his household received the news of his father's death, David, uh, John, Jonathan's death. Later, King David honored Mephibosheth and treated him as his own son for the sake of his friend, Jonathan. So let's go ahead and take a look at what we can learn from the life of Jonathan. Now, Jonathan presents us with uh, nine characteristics of a hero after God's heart. It's found in 1 Samuel 14 Uh, verses 1 through 14, and those of you that are listening, and if you're not driving, uh, you might want to pick up your Bible and and turn to that passage. So let's pick up the story. One day, this is verse 1 in 1 Samuel 14, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Now I've always thought this was kind of interesting, Bill. This armor bearer, who was the you know on the right hand of of Jonathan all the time, probably was thinking, "Are you out of your mind? <laughs> We're outnumbered, and you want to go over to the to the outpost, and you want to do it in secret." But uh, in any case, the first thing we learn, the first uh, characteristic of a hero after God's heart, is that a hero after God's heart takes initiative, regardless of the circumstances. So that's the first thing we learn. Now, we pick up the the inverse again in the next verses, in verse 1, or actually in verse 2 and 3. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in migrant. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahazah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, um, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh no one was aware that Jonathan had left. So the second characteristic that we pick up on from Jonathan's life of a hero after God's heart is a hero after God's heart doesn't always announce his plan. (laughs) It seems subtle, but it's true. Then we read again in verses 4 and 5, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine output was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other was Sina. One cliff stood to the north, and the other to the south. So in this case, another characteristic of a man after God's heart, a hero after God's heart, uh, doesn't allow circumstances to overwhelm him. So in other words, when he saw this great crevice, these two huge uh, mountains on each side, it didn't deter him. Then we continue to read in verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Again, Bill, thinking of this armor bearer, you can imagine what must have been going through his mind. <laughs> the guy that he's supposed to protect is putting his life in danger. Uh, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, Jonathan says, whether by many or few. So the first the fourth uh, characteristic we learn about the life of Jonathan a hereafter God's heart trust the outcome to God so those are at least the first four of the nine bill that that we learn from the life of Jonathan. do you want us to continue or did you want to take a break or uh, anything
0: let's uh let's do one more
2: okay so reading it in verses seven and eight of uh, first Samuel fourteen. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. So he's probably resigning himself to what's going to happen inevitably anyway. He says, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come. Then we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. Now, that doesn't seem to be such a good tactic to me. (laughs) I agree. What do you mean, let them see us? Don't you want to sneak up on these guys? (laughs) Do you want them to see you? (laughs) And his armor bearer, again... Uh, must have been beside himself. I really identify with his armor bearer, frankly. (laughs) And so the fifth characteristic we learn uh, just looking at these two verses is a hero after God's heart is a risk taker. Hmm. So I think what's important to note um, with regard to risk taking, Neil Anderson, founder of Freedom in Christ Ministries and author of Victory Over Darkness and Bondage Breaker, he speaks on this subject, Bill, about uh, a risk. He says this, risks, must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. He may avoid suffering and sorrow, but he simply cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, or live. Chained by his certitudes, he is a slave. He has forfeited freedom. What a privilege, Anderson continues to say, for us to be able to walk by faith in God himself, armed with all the promises of his word. I suppose we all desire the security of the solid tree trunk, but the fruit is out on the limb. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. He concludes by saying this. The timid soul asks, what do I stand to lose if I do it? The fruit-bearing Christian asks, what do I stand to lose if I don't do it? Wow. Real life is lived on the cutting edge.
0: Wow, wow. that is so good. All right, we're going to continue learning about uh, Jonathan and, and the nine characteristics of a hero after God's heart. And that's right out of First Samuel chapter 14, the first 14 verses. My guest is Dr. Greg Borgon. So when we return, we're going to continue uh, learning about the nine characteristics of a hero after God's heart. Greg Borgon is my guest, heartofawarrior.org. You can learn more about him there and his powerful ministry and books and writing. But today we're talking about friendship and Jonathan, and he presents us with nine characteristics of a hero after God's heart. It's right out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. A hero after God's heart takes initiative, does not always announce his plan, doesn't allow circumstances to overwhelm him, uh, trusts the outcome to God, and as a risk taker, let's pick up from there, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Now where we left off, Bill, is remember now they're exposed. Here's these two yes. guys at the bottom of the uh, of the uh, ravine there, and here are the Philistines, far outnumbering certainly Jonathan, the armor bear, looking down on them, wondering probably, these fools are they out of their minds? They're exposing <laughs> themselves. <laughs> so we pick up and we read in verses nine and ten of chapter fourteen of First Samuel, if they say to us wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now think about this armor bearer again. Which option do you think he wanted to choose? I mean, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm thinking, I don't want to go up to them, let them come down to us. <laughs> but but Jonathan is putting his trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. He's saying that the Lord, if, if they tell us to come up to them, the Lord's given them into our hands. So the sixth characteristic is a hero after God's heart relies on God's guidance. So we pick up this, the, the next two verses, 11 and 12. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The man of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Wow. So the seventh characteristic is the hero after God's heart engages the challenge regardless of the odds. Even though they were overwhelming, Jonathan's trust was in the Lord. So we read in verse 13 and 14, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. So the eighth characteristic, Bill, a hero after God's heart, lays it all on the line knowing that their life could be forfeited or taken from them. They lay their life on the line for a higher reason. So we pick up with verse 15. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp in the field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. So the ninth and final characteristic, Bill, is a hero after God's heart, knows that he isn't fighting alone in hebrews 12:1 through 3 we read this therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's got to be encouraging to anybody listening, Bill.
0: So encouraging, yes.
2: So, you know, what I'd like to just, with the, with the few moments that we have left, is to kind of frame this, this whole experience with Jonathan and his armor bearer against um, an enemy that far outnumbered them. Uh, John Eldridge, uh, the author of Wild at Heart, says God's created, and you've heard me say this on your program before, he's created men for three purposes, a cause to die for, a challenge to embrace, and loved ones to protect. So if we run from these responsibilities, we'll lose our true identity, the identity God gave us before we ever came to be. Because Christ is our model for manhood, as Hebrews was alluding to. He had a cause to die for, which is the atonement for the sins of the world. He had a challenge to embrace the suffering of the cross and the scourge and loved ones to protect, the redemption of mankind. So I would ask you that are listening, what cause larger than yourself, are you prepared to die for? What challenge does God want you to embrace? Who has God called you to protect? So have you identified a cause to die for, a challenge to embrace, and loved ones to protect? Let me give you some suggestions of possibly what may be some causes to die for. One may be really getting serious with God instead of playing on the peripheral another might be living in bold relief a life of godliness against the backdrop of a society that is uh, you know showing us all the time what ungodliness looks like how about defending a just cause there are plenty of them out there to defend how about giving your life for another how about answering god's call how about spreading the gospel We always celebrate, Bill, that person on the plane that leads somebody to Christ, but what we fail to realize or remember that that moment was possible because he's standing on the shoulders of many people that have been sent by our Heavenly Father to that person to prepare them for that very moment. So maybe our job in spreading the gospel is to be used of the Lord to bring somebody one step closer to the kingdom. Mm Those are causes to die for.
0: Those are those are some great illustrations. What about some challenges to embrace? Might you have some yeah. examples of that?
2: Yeah, suffering for Christ. I mean, just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean we're going to be suffer. We're not going to suffer. Uh, victory over bad behavior is a challenge to embrace. Sacrificing for others, about uh, forgiving others, doing the right thing even though it's not um, tolerated. How about changing the direction of your life? How about being the husband, father, wife, mother, man, or woman you need to be? Those are challenges that are laid before us that we need to embrace, and maybe there's one of them that you're, somebody in your audience uh, resonates with, but in any case, a cause to die for, a challenge to embrace, and loved ones to protect. So, what well, loved ones to protect, Bill, are the, maybe, if, maybe the underprivileged, under-resourced, underserved, or underrepresented. It might be the unsaved, the unwanted, the unloved, or the unattractive. And if we're married, it, it may be our wives. If we have children, it could be our children. If we're grandparents, it could be our grandchildren. But we're called to protect. So those are the three purposes, a cause to die for, a challenge to embrace, and loved ones to protect.
0: So good, Greg.
2: So um, maybe in it, it, uh, we've just just got a few minutes left here. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just conclude by making a couple of comments, Bill. So living in accordance with God, uh, who God wired us to be—that is, He ordained or designed or created us to be will take courage and risk. So we're told in Scripture: be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. First Corinthians six thirteen. My friend, Erwin McManus, defines courage for us. He says, courage has never been the absence of fear. It's always been the absence of self. And we're probably familiar with the Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton, when he posted an advertisement in 1913. And here's what the advertisement said. This proves again that men are risk takers. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful honor and recognition and case of success. Now that's not how we would probably frame an advertising to get somebody to do something today, <laughs> but that's what he did. Yeah. So Who'd respond to such an ad? What kind of turn we're More than, yeah, we're more than 5,000 men applied for 26 slots. That tells us something about being a risk taker.
0: Yeah, no so kidding.
2: Take, so taking risk is really a part of life. So taking risk is a part of every man's DNA. So the question, again, I would ask your audience, what have you risked for the sake of another lately? What have you risked for the sake of God's kingdom lately? So, you know, looking at the life of Jonathan and the previous life of Jeremiah, we can learn an awful lot from these amazing heroes of the Bible, Bill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Greg, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing this. I'm going to go back and listen to this again and take more notes because this is such good stuff and so encouraging. So thank you.
2: Oh, you're more than welcome. My privilege, yeah. Bill.
0: I look forward to next time. Thank you so much. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest, heartofawarriorsministry.org. You can check that out. We'll take a little break, and hour two is just ahead. Brian is going to join me. He's got a brand new book we're going to talk about uh, called Living Reconciled, and then Bev Canaris is going to chat about resetting your prayer life for 2022. That's all coming up next.